0: everyone and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started Podcast. I'm your host Brian Andreco and thanks again for being a part of this journey, where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was from changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of it all, all these getting started moments, and the lessons learned along the way. I'm truly grateful to have you here listening along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Antonio Neves. Last name is spelled N-E-V-E-S. He is the author of four books, including Stop Living on Autopilot, Take Responsibility for Your Life, and Rediscover a Bolder, Happier You. On his podcast, The Best Thing, Antonio talks with leaders about the best thing to happen to them that would never appear on a resume. His speaking audiences over the years have included Google, Amazon, Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, Booking.com, Credit Union National Association, Stanford University, and much more. For over 10 years, Antonio worked as a correspondent in New York City with top television networks, including NBC, PBS, and BET networks. He is a graduate of Western Michigan University and holds a master's degree from Columbia University. And I'm really excited for y'all to in on this interview. You know, every once in a while, you just meet folks where you jam with right off the bat. It's almost like you were lifelong friends, but you never met. And I felt that with Antonio right when he jumped on the call. We just had an instant rapport back and forth. And you'll hear it in the interview, a lot of great dialogue. And he shared some tremendous insight from his career that I know will be helpful with you as you're getting started on your journey. So let's not waste any more time. Excited to welcome in Antonio Nevs to the podcast. Let's get it started. Antonio, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm, uh, one, congrats on the uh, on the book launch. That's always an impressive thing. I think
1: this is your fourth, right? Did I read that right? This is my fourth book. But I think what's, what's interesting about it being my, my fourth book is my first three books were self-published. So this book, Stop Living on Autopilot, major publishing house, Penguin Random House, uh, Rodale Books, and people are like, that's amazing, Penguin Random House. And I'm like, yeah, but just know, <laughs> I self-published three books prior to that ever happening. My first book I self-published was was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think if I didn't self-publish those other three and had that track record, frankly, build up the confidence, the momentum, it would have happened with a major publishing house. Maybe
0: we'll, let, let's just start there, because, again, this place, you know, the, the, this podcast goes on these random tangents anyway, so we'll just start there. Why did, I didn't even have this as a note, but I'm actually more curious, is what has been experience of self-publishing versus using a publisher? What's been the biggest difference that you've seen?
1: Uh, well, one, I would start with a lot of people, and like, I'm a guy that worked in the television industry for 12 years in New York City for, for major networks, NBC, PBS, BET, et cetera, I find a lot of people, they want to be on TV or they want to have a book published with the major publishing house for, for validation purposes to say, look at me, I'm validated. This network chose me or this publishing house chose me. But there's something extremely powerful when you are willing to endorse yourself, uh, when you're willing like to you know, self-publish. Mm-hmm. It may not be as sexy and glamorous and attractive on the outside, but it does something for you. And just briefly, if you look at the internet, if you go to Amazon, you would think my three books prior to this, you would think they probably only sold 18 copies total based on the number of reviews, et cetera. But that's not why I wrote the books. I'm a public speaker. And I early on, I'd go to so many speaking engagements and they would say, Antonio, this is great, but we wish you had something people could buy that we could leave our audience with. And these are sometimes audiences of 300 to thousands of people. So for me, self-publishing was a business decision. Hmm. Then all of a sudden, folks could buy books from me in bulk. Those sales don't ever show up on Amazon or elsewhere. But I've made a lot of money from selling books and speaking engagements over the years. So frankly, it was a business decision at first. But again, you have to be willing to bet on yourself. You have to be willing to invest in yourself. And I find that when you do that, it's easier to get others to do so.
0: Hmm. Well, so let's talk about that, maybe the, the journey a little bit, not just the book writing, but other stuff. And I, and I think that'll layer into a lot of our conversation today, because you made this transition, right? You were in journalism. That was probably when you were a kid, you're like, that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. How did, how did you make that transition to not only writing books, but now you're speaking, you got a podcast and, and all this other stuff. Was that an easy transition? Was it just time? Like, Can you share a little bit about that, um, that journey, both mentally? and and emotionally uh, it wasn't it wasn't
1: easy <laughs> at all but I think I have to even have to rewind before I worked in the television industry for over 12 years in New York City when I graduated from college I got that good job Brian that everybody talks about the job with the 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 benefits and the 401k etc I was a cheese salesman in South Florida responsible for 25 Winn-Dixie grocery stores and it was a good job I'm I'm a guy that you know it's a first generation college student came from a broken home, so I should have been happy. But every single day, even though that job was good, I didn't enjoy it, And uh, but I was succe- succeeding at it. And you learn one of those lessons that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. And that's when I decided to leave South Florida and move to New York City with just $1,000 in my bank account with dreams of breaking into the television industry. Mm-hmm. And at that time, people told me, Brian, you are crazy. Why would you leave this good job behind? Uh, and I learned a couple of key lessons. One, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. Two, uh, this is a big one right here: your family and friends won't always understand the decisions that you make or even support you. And three, just because you're going your own way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. So I moved to New York City, less than a thousand dollars in my bank account, ended up having a successful career there for over ten years. When I decided to pivot and transition from being on television as a broadcast journalist, business journalist, become a leadership coach, author, and speaker, guess what? I heard the same thing. Antonio, you're crazy. Why would you leave the successful career behind? New York City, major networks. I realized there were different things that I wanted to do. I was more fired up when I was leading and motivating and coaching people than I ever was in front of the camera. So I heard those same things. Uh, why would you leave this behind? Didn't have all the support that I thought I would have. Uh, but I knew deep inside was what I, I wanted to do, and so I made that transition. Uh, but early on, start my own company, uh, it wasn't easy. There was a there was a, it was a, it was a slow to slow to get off the ground. Did you ever struggle with the you know you're the TV
0: guy or you're you know like whatever. Um whatever, I guess, label someone put on you, did you struggle when you did eventually leave that? Or was that an I, easy lead behind?
1: It was not an easy lead behind. I struggled, not necessarily because that was a label that people put on me. It was because it was the label that I put on myself. Uh, when I went off to be a coach, when I went off to be a speaker, even when I'd meet strangers and they would say, hey, what do you do? Tell me about yourself. I was like, hey, I'm a coach. I'm a speaker. And I also worked for NBC, for BET, for these different networks. It was as if I had to devalidate myself. So I held on to it for a long time, You know, maybe feeling a little bit insecure that being a coach, being a speaker wasn't enough. So I'd add in the other stuff. But a great question I love to ask people no matter where they are in the career, and this is a great one, is how would you introduce yourself to a stranger if you couldn't reference your career, if you couldn't reference your profession? So many people struggle with that question because we identify with who we work for. But as you know, that's just that's not all of who we are. So as I mentioned earlier, we have to be willing to endorse ourselves outside of what university we attended, outside of what company we work for, outside of what um, fraternity we're a member of, you name it. Uh, But that's a little bit scary sometimes to, if you will, stand on your own. Oh, sure thing. And and to your
0: point, it's it, it's kind of that one thing of, you know, who we are is not necessarily, you know, we, we like to think of what we do is who we are. Right. But the reality is really who we are should impact what we do. You know, I kind of learned that from my mentor, Rich. And it's one of those things where, yeah, when you go to that cocktail party to your example, like it's always the first thing. What do you do? It's like there's some job title. There's something that we have to highlight. Um, for some reason you know like that's the only that like that validates who we are versus all these other great attributes most people have that they just don't even uncover you know
1: I agree with you 100% a fun exercise uh, I share in the book and I I do on stages and at workshops is this question like what are three things about you uh, that would never show up on a google search or show up on a resume and when people identify these things, whether it's that annual mission trip they do to help raise money uh, for an organization, whether it's uh, that they volunteer each week somewhere, or they have wrote, you know, three screenplays, you know, you learn so much amazing things about people that don't show up on their resume, they give you a better idea of who they are as human beings. Yeah. Now, is that
0: the one when I saw when I was researching that you play podcast on 2X feed? Is that is that one of
1: yours? You're, a, good, to... you're, you're a very good researcher. Yes. Like, I, I, I have a problem. I don't know what it is, but uh, I just love to consume. I'm a nerd. I love to learn, and I want to learn as much as I can. Maybe that happened when I, you know, had... Kids, you know, I have my wife and I have four-year-old twins, and so I don't have as much time as I used to to listen to podcasts. So uh, I figure if I can get through that sixty-minute podcast interview in thirty minutes, all the better. Uh, But yeah, I listen to them on two times speed. The challenge with that is I'm naturally a fast talker, and and then when I listen in regular speed, it's like someone speaking in slow motion, or even just having. A conversation uh but yeah i'm I'm a two time uh two two, two times uh, speed listener, well, I had to try it after I saw that and I went and i I don't know who I was. I had like
0: rogan teed up or something like that, and I played it I said, Oh my gosh, how do
1: you listen to this on two x? Believe it um, or not, your ears will adapt they do I think the things you probably won't retain as much as you would like, don't get me wrong, especially with audiobooks, you're not going to retain as much as you like. Yeah. But I also know if I listen to an audio book versus read the same book, I retain so much more when I read it mm-hmm. as opposed to listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to uh,
0: transition a little bit. You know, one of those things, obviously, and, and I think this relates a lot back to your book, um, the you know, Stop Living on Autopilot um, book that just came out. How do we? I guess my question is: How do we know we're living on autopilot? How do people recognize that to to even
1: start getting to the point to change? That's a really really good question. I, I will start with this right here. Are you, are you a sports fan? Huge sports fan. What's your what's your favorite sport?
0: Well, I, I mean, I played golf all my life. But in terms of watching, maybe uh, golf and, and football. I'm a huge Forty Nine ers fan. So
1: okay, let's talk football then. All We've right. all watched a football game where in the first half a team comes out and they're just killing it. Mm-hmm. Let's say at halftime, they're up 30 to zero. Like they're, they're killing it. Then as you know, Brian, something happens. They come out the second half. and next thing you know, it's the fourth quarter. They were up 30 to zero at halftime. Now they're only up 30 to 27 with two minutes to go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they might lose the game. What happened is in that first half, that team came out to win the game. They, play, they were playing to win. In the second half, they came out playing not to lose. Mm. There's a big difference in playing to win at life versus playing not to lose. I'm sure you've had some amazing front nine in golf. You're like, holy moly, I'm about to break. I'm out, I'm about to have a personal best. And all of a sudden, something happens. And on that back nine, you you play a little bit tighter. Maybe you get a little bit more conservative. You stop doing all those things you did on the front nine. And that score doesn't end up where you want to be. So you're living on autopilot when you are no longer playing to win at life, but you're playing not to lose, total different energies. A great question you can ask yourself regarding that is, I like to think about the last 30 days. Mm -hmm. And for those people who are fortunate enough to be employed and have jobs, a fun question to ask ourselves is, uh, if your boss or manager had to make a decision to rehire you based on the last 30 days at work, would them answer immediately be yes or would they be like, you know what? Based on how you showed up the last 30 days, I don't know. And I just like to invite people, again, who have jobs, just to think back to when you were interviewing for the job that you're currently in, how excited you were, how fired up you were. Think back to when you got that second interview. Think back to when you found out uh, you were a finalist for the job, and then you found out you got the job, how fired up you were. Think about how you showed up that first week on the job, that first month, that quarter, you name it. Now ask yourself, how much of that man or woman still exists today? Are you still showing up with that energy, with that great attitude, with that hustle, with that optimism that you once were? Or have you shifted to complacency? Were you once contributing and are you now settling? So that's one way you can look at it if you're on autopilot. And just for folks, just to to make it more visceral, for people to really feel it in their gut. Mm -hmm. If you happen to be in a relationship, married, have a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, you name it. If you if you if your significant other had to make a decision to recommit to you based on the last thirty days, yeah, would they immediately say yes, I recommit to you, or would they say, you know what, we might need to keep dating a little bit longer? I don't know, based on how you showed up the past thirty days, if I want to recommit to you or not. Mm.
0: That's a that's a lot to. That's a lot to dissect there. Let's go into a few of those categories. Um, because I I like how you put some of that. And if we go back to the football analogy, the one thing I this is so random, but I literally just w- was reading this the other day, and it was about how the Patriots, um, when they when they beat the Falcons a few years back, right, in the Super Bowl, how they prepared in the weeks before. And one of the interesting things I read, which I'm not surprised by, was um, I guess Bill Belichick, he prepared for a 30 minute halftime versus the normal 15 minute. And they actually did that and they practiced it so that they were ready to understand when they came up against, they knew that was going to come down the road, that they were ready for it. So I don't, I don't know if this is part of it and maybe I'm going on a huge tangent, but how much is preparing and understanding that that is complacency is going to come, that it helps us get us get ahead of it before it actually does come.
1: Yeah, well, that's some Jedi awareness if you happen to have that, right? And I'm glad people are listening to this now; they can have, they, they will have that. Here's what, here's what I like, you know. Here's what I've learned, man. Um, the average day is a Tuesday. The average day in life is a Tuesday when not much happens. It's not the day you get promoted. It's not the day you get married. It's not the day you have kids. It's not the day you buy your home. It's not the day you get an award. The average day is a regular old Tuesday. And when we talk about complacency, the, the, what happens on that average Tuesday determines what happens on other days, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you willing to do while no one is watching? Like that's when the magic happens when no one is watching. I tell the story sometimes, uh, back way back, get ready, way back in 2001, I went to a concert. New York City for one of my favorite artists. And I remember this opening act came out and they basically said, uh, you know, you're not familiar with this act or their music, but we think they're going to go far, please pay attention. Now, Brian, you've been to concerts, I've been to concerts, typically what happens when you when an opening act comes out and you're not familiar with them or their music, what do you do?
0: I don't know. You go run and get a beer. I don't know.
1: You run and get a beer. (laughs) You have a conversation, right? You pick up your phone. Remember even this, this is 2001. There's no Spotify, YouTube, Twitter, any, any of that kind of stuff. So pretty much everyone that night, when this opening act came out, ignored that person, they got beers, they had conversations, not because they weren't talented or gifted. It's just that they had no context for that person, but something interesting happened that night, even though pretty much no one was paying attention to that artist on stage, Slowly but surely, they grabbed my attention. And the reason why he grabbed my attention is because even though no one was paying attention, they still were giving absolutely everything as if they already... Were Grammy-winning artists as if they already went multi-platinum, as if they had already uh, secured sold-out arenas. While they were, while no one was watching, they were giving everything. Mm. So back to your point about complacency: what do you do when no one is watching? Right? Do you still give absolutely everything, or do you phone it in on that average Tuesday? That that's what life is—an average Tuesday. Three years later, after I saw that opening act that no one was pretty much no one was paying attention to. I remember hearing about some brand new artist three years later. Yeah. I remember hearing about some brand new artist. come to find out that artist I saw giving absolutely everything while no one was watching three years earlier was someone by the name of Kanye West. Hmm. Now goes without saying Kanye believes in Kanye, but you know, if Kanye didn't believe in Kanye, who would have believed in Kanye? Yeah. Now, nowadays, Brian, people give Kanye West a lot of flack about, you know, the what he says on social media, this and that. And though I may not agree with everything he says or does, I don't agree with <laughs> uh, everything anyone says or does. Um, uh, everything. However, I have to look at him a different way because he gave everything while no one was watching for years as a performer. I don't know about you, but some people, if things don't work out in 10 minutes, they're ready to quit. Mm-hmm. They made, they do like 10 episodes of their podcast. Well, we're not, we don't have the listeners we thought we were going to have. And they give up without doing the work. I mean, you're well over a hundred episodes, so you know that's about being willing to do the work early on, especially when, when no one is watching. So I hope that answers your question about complacency and being aware. It's it's how we show up on an average Tuesday that determines everything.
0: Well, and, and that's probably a good point to even talk about is consistency. You know, the reality is that we can't expect the promotion every day or, you know, that we're gonna have the the happiest of moments every day, although we want to achieve that just so the reality doesn't happen. So how important is consistency? What are, are there certain practices folks can put in place to think about things a different way and ultimately to start getting to a better level of happiness?
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, we can say consistency. I like to talk about commitment, right? I think a lot of people use the word commitment nowadays a little bit too loosely, but we have to recall that once you commit to something, Mm -hmm. you have to recommit every single day. Just committing once doesn't get the job done. You have to recommit every single day to your work, to your relationships, to your community. All those things that you say are really important. Uh, In terms of things, I think that can make a really big difference in terms of like if you want to get a little bit more prescriptive and practices that can make a really big difference. Like I know there are five things that need to happen over the course of a standard day for me for it to be a good day. I can't promise it will be a great day, but if I make these five things happen, uh, odds are it's gonna be a decent day. Number one, I know if I meditate on a daily basis, that's huge, that's one thing. Number two, I know if I, I educate myself. That can be as simple as listening to a podcast like yours, can be reading 10 pages of a book. If I educate myself, something good is going to happen. The third thing is if I sweat. Like I have to sweat every single day in some capacity. Like it just gets the crazy out of my head, but it's also just good for me. Uh, the fourth thing that needs to happen on a regular basis is I have to finish something, right? I don't care if that's a blog post, if I, gotta, if I have to publish on something, if it's a home project or something like that, that makes a really big difference. And the fifth thing, leading to consistency that I try to make happen every single day is I have to connect with someone. Like a family member, friend, you name it, and when I say connect, I'm not just talking about a uh, text message. Hey, what's up, bro? How you doing? I mean, literally hearing someone's voice, having a conversation with them, I find has a profound effect on my life. So there are consistent things I do on a daily basis that I know will end up to me lead end up leading to me having a a good day, if not a great day.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and, and when you were and I wrote all these down here, when you're
0: talking about these different things, meditate, educate, sweat, finish, you know, connect, it got me thinking of these are priorities. Like you've made these priorities in your life. And which ultimately, when there's priorities, it means stuff has to get pushed to the side. How did you discover a that these are your priorities and b what you wanted to do as your, like, was there like a self-discovery period you went through to realize like, hi, oh, you know, what? I, when I sweat every day, when I work out, it makes me feel X. So I'm going to do that more. Like, how did that discovery happen in your life?
1: Uh, well, I think when you have enough bad days, you want to figure out what you can do to have some good days. And I've had some rough days, like a lot of people over yeah. the years, uh, but I'm a nerd as well. So one thing, even like years ago, I remember just opening up, having my notepad or opening up a spreadsheet And I would break down what happened on days when things went good and when things didn't go so good. And when I would look at the course of a week or a course of a month, the things that happened on the good days versus the bad days, these are the five things that that were always consistently happening. Mm -hmm. So I I literally tracked them. Like it wasn't happenstance. It wasn't guessing. Don't get me wrong. We can pull some of these apart. It's a no-brainer. You can look at the research and you know meditation is good for you. You know, sweating is good for you. You know, independently, these are all smart. You can look at finishing stuff. I mean, it's one of the, achievement is one of the biggest components of positive psychology. So we know this on the surface. However, I had to track my days and see the differences between my good days and my quote unquote bad days and see what each of them had in common. And the good days had those five things in common. The bad days did not have many of those five things on there. So that's first and foremost, I was able to do that. The second piece of that is I can't, I guess, focus, like you said, priorities. I was fortunate enough in grad school to have a professor give me some exceptional advice that sticks with me. And I think a lot of listeners will resonate with this. And he said, You know, Antonio, you can do anything you want, but you can't do everything. You can do anything you want, but you can't do everything. And with a lot of people that I work with and I come across, The reason why they're not finishing stuff is because they have too much going on. I like to think about it like this. Uh, If you have your computer open and you have a lot of apps running at the same time, what can happen, right? Apps are running, your processing fee is gonna slow down. Worst case scenario, uh, your computer is going to crash. So people in their life have a lot of quote unquote apps running. And so what I think smart people are willing to do, disciplined people are willing to do, Are to identify what quote-unquote apps are open in their life and which ones are essential, which ones need to be closed, which ones need to stay open, which ones need to be minimized. Uh, I'll just give you an example. Right now, there's some TV projects that I want to work on. As you you know, I I left TV almost 10 years ago, but now I'm getting excited about creating some TV projects again, and Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about them, Brian. And that app of that TV project is closed right now, because if I open that up right now, it would interfere with the other things that are my priorities. Jim Collins, amazing author of the book Good to Great, yeah. has this quote. Has this quote that I'm going to paraphrase in Good to Great that says, "If you have more than three priorities, you don't have any." Yeah. And you and I both know a lot of people who're like, hey, "Here's my here's my 13 priorities for 2021," and you're like, "Ah, this is not going to happen."
0: Yeah absolutely yeah. i was it was so funny. I was thinking about that quote when you were when you were saying it um it's absolutely true and I, and i and I actually recognized it just recently where I had all these different projects to your point like the, I didn't have the t v stuff come up or anything like that, but you had these things come up, and you're like, well hold on brian let's let's focus on one or two of these let's and by the way, too, I think when you chop down those trees and you get those done it opens up new opportunities for you to do these other things. And, you, and maybe you're even more prepared, you're more skilled, you're more whatever, because you've accomplished some other things, you know, it gives you more confidence.
1: 100%. I mean, it can be as simple as home projects. There, there can be three home projects, right? You got you to replace the sink in the bathroom. You want to build your kids a, a tree house, and you got to redo some stuff in the garage. I know a lot of people who are trying to do all three of those things at the exact same time, and none of them are getting done. Yeah, Close down two of those, finish the tree house. First, or finish which one is most pressing. Maybe that kitchen sink or whatever needs to be finished first. So, but it's hard, you know. It's, it's the FOMO, right? People want to feel like they're doing everything, and I find that when you try to do everything, you pretty much end up accomplishing nothing. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny when you mention that
0: because you know, you know, when some some folks glorify themselves as multitaskers, I've never found a good multitasker. I don't know, <laughs> I, I just never have. Um, <laughs> i don't I don't know, I guess you can say you are, but I get distracted, like I think I'm focused, but like when I have yeah the screen's up or I'm on a you know it's funny, you're on a zoom meeting and then you have your text messages come in You whatever, like you can't handle both because when you're giving attention to one, the other is suffering, you know
1: yeah, I mean the and the research backs that up that multitasking is like a myth. like there are studies that show that if you're focused on something and then you get distracted with a notification or something else it can take upwards to 15 to 20 minutes to get back into that zone that you were in. Mm -hmm. But here we are trying to multitask, multiple windows open, got our iWatch or or going off, dinging on our wrist when somebody sends us a message or a phone. I mean, it's like, no wonder nothing is getting done. Hmm.
0: I wanted to go back to something we were chatting about earlier and kind of connect the dots because we were talking about the, you know, I think you had a great analogy with, you know, I'm on a job interview, I'm giving my everything. And then fast forward X time in the future. And there's that complacency there. What's the why behind it? Why do we do that for ourselves? Like to ourselves, is there any, anything you could share on, again, maybe it comes back to helping us recognize why it happens.
1: Yeah. I think the why is that at some point in many ways we settle again, I mentioned contributing and settling and we have to rewind and even think that a lot of things we're doing We have to ask ourselves, do we even really want to do them? Society, specifically Western society, and we can look specifically at the United States. We've been on a conveyor belt, Brian, from the day we were born with our education system to going to middle school, to college, to university. Then apparently when you finish university, you're supposed to get this job, and not supposed to leave too often. Uh, you're supposed to buy a home, check that box off, you're supposed to get married, check, you're supposed to check that. And then so people end up doing all these things. And they're like, wait a second. do did I do, Hey, do I even, is this the career I want to work in? Or am I doing something that my parents want me to do? Did I really want to buy this house? Or, or did I get sold a bill of goods because everyone else is doing this? So we find ourselves mm-hmm. trying to do all these things that everyone else wants us to do, never asking ourselves, is uh, this what we want to do? And then for a lot of people, then we get inundated with all this stuff around us and we feel like we're paralyzed and we can't move anymore. If anything, and this may sound a little woo-woo, but I'm not afraid to say it, we've at some point we stopped dreaming. I mean, I think about how, how much we used to dream when we were in high school, how much we used to dream yeah. in our youth, how optimistic we were about the things that we can accomplish and the things that we can do. And then we got into roles, maybe some that we picked, some that we didn't necessarily pick. And we got beat up a little bit, if you will, and we stopped dreaming. And what I like to remind people is that, you know, our dreams have an expiration date if we don't act on them, right? Our dreams have an expiration date if we don't act on them. I believe that a tombstone can have three dates. It can be the day that we're born, the date that we give up, and the date that we die. And for far too many people, the date that we give up and the date that we die, there's a big gap between there. Let me give you a quick example. This I think folks will resonate with this. Um, I read an article in the New York Times, and they're interviewing two business owners that founded a company in New York City in the 1990s. And they're talking about, New York, talking about what New York City was like in the 90s. It was a lot more grimy, gritty, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And at some point during the interview, Brian, one of the guys said, oh, I really miss the old New York. But his business partner corrected him and he's talking about you know what, what, what the old new york was like in the 1990s but his business partner corrected him and said you don't miss the old new york what you miss is the old you who you were during that time so what has happened is people have stopped being bold people have stopped being courageous. They've stopped putting themselves out there. I'm not talking about quitting jobs, by the way. I'm not talking about ending relationships. I'm not talking about moving to the other side of the world, just with basic stuff, right? I'm a perfect example of this. At some point, I felt like I was living on autopilot. And one of the things I realized that I had stopped doing that got me to where I was, one thing I love doing is what we're doing right now. I love having fascinating conversations with fascinating people. But I realized in my career, All I was doing was talking to audiences as a public speaker. Sometimes that would be 300 people. Sometimes it'd be 5,000 people. So I had to ask myself, what am I going to do? So I recommitted to that dream of having fascinating conversations with fascinating people when I started my own podcast. And even though technically the podcast isn't like a a moneymaker, a revenue maker for me right now, Mm -hmm. Brian, I get so much out of hitting record on my podcast every single week. I get so much out of hitting publish that Forget about dollars and cents. I get something out of it. And some people, I mean, even just now, I just finished a call before we got on. Like uh, the first thing the person said, I heard your podcast, Antonio, and that's why we want to bring you in to speak. Like now it's starting to have some tangible value, but I do that for me. Right. And I'm sure, I'm not sure what your reasoning is for doing your podcast, but I do it for me. I get something out of it. Oh, sure thing. Yeah, there a couple,
0: couple of reasons um, I, I know. And that was one of the reasons I started. And the one reason it's called Just Get Started that I share a lot is because for two years I didn't because I was so worried about what other people were thinking or, oh, they're going to think I have a podcast and who am I to have a podcast and all this other crap that was in my head. And once I got over that and realized, like no, this is what I want to do. like I, I want to learn from great people like yourself. I want to share these stories to help other people, and and one of the biggest reasons, and and I'm curious, maybe some impact for you too, because I have an eight year old. Is I want him to hear this down the road and say, you know what? Hey, my pop tried something. He got out of his comfort zone. He's doing things that made him happy. So ultimately, maybe it gives
1: him some inspiration as well. You get you saying that, man. Just gave me chills. Yeah, it gave me chills because I think the biggest, and I'm even getting like a little emotional thinking about it because your kid seeing you do something that makes you happy. I don't think people know how powerful that is because yeah. I, there are a lot of parents out there that you know, that I know that aren't doing anything that makes them happy. Yeah. And listen, it's not always about our jobs. Cause you know, a friend of mine told me a dream job is a job that you absolutely love or a job that allows you to do what you love. So it's not just about the work, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm but you hit and record on this podcast. I have friends that like to build in their garage and they like to do different kinds of things. The impact that your son, our kids get by seeing us be alive is so powerful. It's gonna give them the courage. It's gonna give them the audacity to do that when their friends in society tells them not to. Can you imagine how horrible that would be if our kids didn't see us doing things that we love? Or, well, I'm a dad now, so I can't do these things. Like what? No. Yeah, we owe that to them. You know, we, we owe that to them more than anything else. So, yeah, you just struck a nerve with me, man. Good way.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking uh, with uh, Dana on a, an earlier podcast episode about this similar topic, but around, you know, that we've been for, I mean, I look at it as a fortune opportunity. Obviously, COVID wasn't great for most people or all of us, really. It's obviously in, in our society, but I take the positives as best I can that. My son was home with me a lot for virtual, you know, school and all that. So he saw my work environment. He saw when I was doing different things with, with my full time job, with podcasting, with other things. I included him in. I shared that. Versus, I, I, you know, I remember this just as a kid. I don't know about you, but like. It makes me think back, like my dad. He, you know, he's been in like the the car industry as controllers a GM and stuff at dealerships, and I've been around that my whole life. And I'd always remember him, him coming home, and like the stories were always about like complaining about an employee or about what. Like, it was, there's never there wasn't a lot of positives around it. And and my, one thing to show my son is that there's a lot of positives. Yeah, I, we go through adversity, whatever. But there's also hey, listen, this is what I do. This is how I go about my day, and maybe it pulls him a little bit more to be able to actually think about life in a different way versus i'm just a kid i you know i don't get i get talking to a certain way it's like no let me include you in um yeah, to the conversation you're
1: what you're really instilling in your kid he, he he may not get it right now based on his age is that you're reminding him the same way you're reminding yourself every single day that hopefully the listeners are going to remind themselves today that you have a say in this mm-hmm. like we have a choice Yes, we can listen to our parents' old stories and how they how things were when they came up and what you're supposed to do and the societal norms that people are expecting us to follow. If you don't want to own a car, guess what? You don't have to. If you don't want to buy a house and you want to rent instead, guess what? You don't have to. If you choose to uh, pursue entrepreneurship as opposed to 9 to 5, that's okay, right? We, we get to choose what we want to do. I think at some point we get so busy at pointing our fingers at everyone else in society that very rarely do we point the fingers at ourselves and say, hey, what role have I played in where I am right now in life? And if I don't like it, if I don't like it, what decision can I make to make this one decision that I can make to make my life better? And very few people are willing to take that type of accountability. 100%. And you actually
0: mentioned it earlier, and it's in the title of your book, but is being bold. And, and getting out there and just trying again, whether it's, you know, you're doing speaking and writing other stuff. Like I do the podcast and writing and, uh, and some other things like just going out and what's the alternative. Like what's, that's the one thing that was the hardest thing for me, because again, I was so worried about what other people were going to think. I had so many self-limiting beliefs from my childhood and growing up. Like I'm not good enough. Like who am I kind of thing? And that's why one of the sayings I have written in my mirror, in my bathroom, because I have to look at it every time I go in there, is, why can't it be you? There you go. And, and it, it makes me kind of believe that, no, no, I can do this. I can make the impact in the world that I want to make. And I, for whatever reason, because I know I went through it, we just don't believe in ourselves that we're good enough to put whatever it is out in the
1: world. Right? Yeah, I think that's why it's so important to surround yourself with an amazing community. I talk a lot in the book and my work about spending your time with with allies, amazing people that encourage you, that inspire you, that challenge you, that push you and hold you accountable to be the best versions of yourself. That can be virtually, that can be in person with people you know extremely well, people you only know kinda well from Facebook groups or group coaching programs, church groups, you name it. And also you you mentioned being bold. I, I don't want people to think that being bold means you have to start your own podcast or you gotta leave your nine to five and start your own company. Being bold today for you could mean not drinking tonight and it can mean not having a beer for that listener. Being bold can mean that conversation you've been avoiding having with your spouse. It's going to take eight minutes to have. You may have that conversation tonight. Being bold may be like, you know what? There's an idea you have that you really think can, can transform your department at the office being bold could be doing some research and then putting together a short presentation to share that with your team or your manager, right? Being bold can make, can make some healthy decisions as it relates to your food. Being bold can be setting up an automatic deposit to save some money. Like we're not, it doesn't have to be crazy things. It can be very simple things.
0: Yeah, that's a great point to make. The simple, of the sometimes the smallest steps are the most important. Breakthroughs really. come in small steps. I believe it. What's been the biggest breakthrough in your life? Do you think, if you had to go back and think about, you know, the biggest breakthrough that you've had, whether it's a mindset change, whether it's again maybe it's something more physical, who knows?
1: It was a mindset change. Uh, the biggest breakthrough I had was being willing to accept. It kind of goes back to what you have written in your mirror, but for me, I'd like to, I have to remind myself and remind others that that my success and my happiness hinders no one. I have to remind myself on a regular basis that my success. And my happiness hurts absolutely no one. Mm -hmm. I come from an environment, again, where I mentioned I was the first person to graduate uh, from college in my family. I grew up with a lot of instability, you know, before I graduated from high school, moved nearly 15 times. uh, Between my mom and father, a total of six divorces. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are times when I didn't think that I could be successful, that I could be happy. And then as I started to become quote unquote successful or more happy in situations, I found myself feeling guilty for that, for making that progress as if I was leaving people behind, family, friends, my old community, et cetera. And I just had to come to that realization, that acceptance that my success, my happiness hurts no one. If anything, it shines a light on others to show them what's what's possible. So that was a big breakthrough that I have to recommit to every single day. That's awesome.
0: Well, and that might tie in. You may use that advice. It may be something different. I always like to, you know, kind of as a fun, maybe ending to our conversation is, and you could talk about your kids or maybe go back to your younger self. Sometimes it's fun. And I want you to share one piece of advice. I always like to say, you know, maybe it's a post-it note you're sticking on the mirror on, you know, whatever, so they can take with them um, on their journey. What what would you share as a, as a lasting uh, piece of advice? I would share
1: uh, not making a decision is making a decision. I don't think people like to hear that to me. Not making a decision is making a decision. So many people, when they're complaining about their life or their situation or their life or whatever, all they're doing is complaining. And then they, they'll say something like, yeah, but I didn't do anything. Yeah, but I didn't do anything. But yeah, exactly, you didn't do anything. So if you're sitting there complaining about something, not making a decision about that bad job, that bad relationship, that bad situation, that bad friendship, your neighbor cutting the yard at midnight, right? Not making a decision is making a decision. I'm inviting people to make decisions. Does that mean it's always going to go your way? No. And that's okay. But the more you are willing to make decisions, the more you're going to build up confidence, the more you're going to build up momentum, the more it's going to be easier to make that next decision tomorrow. So I'm inviting people to make decisions.
0: Antonio, that's awesome, man.
1: Where, where can everyone connect with you
0: online? Where do you prefer best way to uh, get in touch if they want to chat with you, follow you, whatever?
1: Yeah, come hang out. Everything Antonio is at theantonionevs.com, theantonionevs.com, podcast, book, social media, hub, everything is there.
0: This was a phenomenal conversation, man. I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining on the podcast and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you for having me. Keep up the amazing work. <laughs> Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by the Just Get Started podcast. Uh, Grateful to have you here. And if I could just make one quick ask before you run along on your day. You know, I've grown this podcast organically over the last three plus years. And it's from the great listeners that pick up, you know, a quote or a key learning or just enjoy the entertainment of the podcast and they share it out to their audience. They leave a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, and I'd ask that for you as well. If you've made it to this point and are listening in, um, a lot of the podcast uh, platforms that you listen on have a share button right there where you can share it out to your audience on various platforms. So I would be so appreciative if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to do that, um if you really enjoyed this episode. So thanks again. I'm happy to connect online. I always love to meet new people. So if you want to go to my website, BrianonDraco.com or connect with me. I'm at Brian on basically everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, even clubhouse, that new app that's out there. Uh, You name it. So uh, follow me online and uh, certainly look forward to connecting further. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.